the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Uh, again, the show is about estate planning and elder law. At least part of the show is about estate planning and elder law. And part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion, or current events or whatever. And as, as most of you know, we usually have one of the attorneys from our office to talk about estate planning at, at the first part of the show. And we're happy to have Nicole Donnelly here today, who has her own little segment, you know, estate planning gone wrong. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here. And there is a lot of estate planning going wrong. (laughs) Okay. Can you give us some examples? Yes. So some things that people don't think about or remember when they're doing their estate plan is that it's not for today or tomorrow. So for example, Mr. Connors, what would happen if you created a will and you appointed an executor but you didn't have a backup. What are all the things that could go wrong? Well, it's almost as bad as not having a will because then somebody has to apply to be administrator CTA of the will, which is, you know, is a, a different proceedings and everything else. And that is a problem you see in a lot of cases. You, you know, you have somebody, I appoint, who's going to be your executor? My 80-year-old brother. Well, do you have a backup? No, why can't I have my 80-year-old brother? And you can but then we should have a backup. We should have, you know, if you're 75, we should probably have somebody 60 or younger. You know, not that life's a gamble. You never know who's going to go first. But we should be playing the odds in this case and have a pretty good shot of who's going to survive you as the executor and as PAV attorney. You know, and a lot of times even like some people say, you, you know, you're talking to a, an 80-year-old person. they got a 75-year-old as their PAV attorney, which is fine. But if when you're 80... Let's say you're going to need the PAP attorney when you're 90. That 75-year-old person is going to be 85. And you got to remember, when we're writing these documents, we're not writing these documents necessarily for today or tomorrow. It's the long range. So we should always look at the what-ifs. So, like, if you have a brother or sister 
who's your PAV attorney, your executor, the person in charge, if you will, after you're gone. That's fine and good, but then we should try to have a younger person as a backup because you you want a continuity. You don't have to go to court to appoint a guardian or a substitute administrator or whatever the case might be. And what would you say to our clients who are really hell-bent on, well, if something happens to my executor, I'll just come back in and redo my documents. I love that one. <laughs> well, the problem is, let's say if something happens to your executor, one, people always procrastinate. and They may get not around to doing a successor executor or alternate executor appointing one. And number two, let's say you're 90 years old and then your executor passes away. You may not be mentally competent to do a new will or a new power of attorney, depending on the circumstances, and that could cause complete chaos. Try Whoever you choose is probably better than nobody. You know, Give it some thought. We'll talk it over. But whoever you choose is, is probably better than nobody. You can put, appoint virtually anybody as an executor or trustee who's over 18, used to be not convicted of a crime. Now it depends what kind of crimes you want to be convicted of, but... You know, you can appoint practically anybody. You don't have to be a U.S. citizen. However, if you don't live in New York and you're executor, you know, you sh- it, you should be at least have a green card. And there are different rules. But, you know, ordinarily you're going to try to pick somebody who's a U.S. citizen. That makes it easier. Not convicted of a crime over 18. So there are a lot of people out in that universe that can serve as your executor. And let's say if you are leaving it to charity or something like that, well, well the attorneys at our office could serve as executor. We recommend family first, um, should have family first in most circumstances. But if there's no family, then we can act to get assets to charity or whatever, depending on your needs. Or if you got relatives overseas, which occasionally we have too. So remember, guys, if it took you 70 years to come in to do your first will, you're probably not going to come in to do your second will. Well, you know, we had a lady a few years back. She was 108, and she came in to do her first will. So, <laughs> We also get that question often. When is it too late to do a trust, Mr. Connors? Is it really ever too late? Well, if you're walking around alive and you know what you're doing, no. But the problem is, if you pass away, it's too late to do your will. And also, if you, you, you don't have mental capacity, it's too late to do your will. Now, mental capacity, you don't have to be 100% to do a will. I mean, it's the least amount of competency you need under the law. You just need to understand what's going on at that time. But you really don't want to wait to the last minute. You don't want to have somebody challenging something because was the person of sound mind not. And, you know, the, the case law may say you have the least amount of capacity. Juries don't always look at it that way. Some juries, if you're too, they, they, they may even say, which is not the law, but they may interpret the law in their specific, specific case that you're, you know, 90 years old, you're too old to do a will. You didn't know what you were doing. And there's a prejudice against old people. So the earlier you do your will, you know, the better. Yeah, I would agree. And what happens when people, when we tell people to come in and do their will, I feel like we're misleading them a little bit. We know it to be intestacy, but doesn't everybody already have a law prescribed will? Yes, we all do. If you don't have a will of your own, the state writes a will for you. And I tell that to a lot of people, and they don't believe me, you know, because even I say that you you have a will right now. You have a will that leaves everything to your cousins in equal shares. And they say, no, I don't have a will. I don't want my cousins to do it in equal shares. I want it to go to my significant other, my best friend, whatever. And so, well, right now until you do a will, 
your will says I leave everything in this circumstance. Assume you don't have children, grandchildren. You're not you're not married. You don't have brothers or sisters alive, uh, nephews and nieces. It could all go to your cousins. And, and of course, that always causes a mess because in a lot of cases, the cousins from your father's side don't know your cousins from your mother's side, and it takes forever to get everything together. And you have hearings as who was the you know who the relatives were, and that a lot of money will be wasted in court proceedings or whatever. So, even if you're going to leave it to your cousins, you still be better off with the will where you appoint an executor where you don't get involved with the public administrator. If you live in in New York State, because if the public administrator serves about ten percent of your state, goes to the public administrator and his counsel. And what about people who say everything is automatic? I'm married 20 years, love my husband. It's automatic. Everything I have will go to my husband. What do we think about automatic? Well, that depends. There's no really such a thing as automatic. Yes, if you're married and you have no children, it would go to your spouse, but your spouse would have to file in court, uh, probably get a bond, and have somebody fill out an affidavit saying that you were married and have your marriage certificate. Uh, It's not automatic. And yeah... But, you know, even if you're married and everything's going to go to your spouse, you still have to face the possibility that something may happen to both of you. And, you know, sometimes that leads to really bad results. Because let's say we, we've got a married couple and the husband has a number of brothers and sisters passed away. He's got nephews and nieces. He's close to them and his tenders leave everything to them. And he, he's but, you know, first to his wife, his wife will say he doesn't have any relatives. Let's say she was an only child. Her mother was an only child. Her father was an only child. Her parents are gone. Let's say they're in a car accident together. Husband and wife die in an accident together. Husband dies at the scene. Wife dies a few days later. They never did a will. Again, they own a house together. That house, yes, will automatically go to the wife. But then when the wife dies in the circumstances I just gave, that house would pass to New York State. Because, you know, assuming she lived more than 120 hours after her husband those assets would pay to her next of kin in the example I gave where her parents were gone, where she didn't have any brothers or sisters, she didn't have any nephews and nieces, she didn't have any cousins. Uh, the assets would pass to New York State. And that happens a little bit more than you might think because, you know, like a, a lot of people, the wife in this case may say, well, my husband has nephews and nieces and they're my nephews and nieces. They call her aunt. She calls them my nephews and nieces. And they might say, you know, that's my next of kin, my nephews and nieces. But your spouse's nephews and nieces are not your nephews and nieces. And the same thing, like if your spouse has children from a prior relationship, that's not your relatives. For good or bad, they can't contest your will, but at the same time, they don't inherit from you if you don't have a will. So the fact pattern I gave, again, the wife in that case was an only child. Her mother now deceased was an only child. Her father now deceased was an only child. In that circumstances, her next of kin is New York State. And if she died without a will, surviving her husband, her assets would pass to New York State. And I don't think anybody wanted to leave everything to the IRS because the country was so good to them. They were immigrants. And that's what you want. Okay, I still think you could come up with a better charity than that. But, um, you know, and even then it goes to New York State. It doesn't go to the IRS. So everybody should do a will planning what you're going to plan. And... You know, this comes up. Michael, how many languages do we speak in this office? Hold on one second. All right. 
So, we speak, besides English, which I hope most of us speak. I think all our attorneys speak English. <laughs> Debatable. Yeah. Who are you debating on? <laughs> we won't go there. Yeah. English, Spanish, Italian, Greek, Polish, Romanian, Ukrainian, Russian, Mandarin, Cantonese, Fujianese, Tagalog, and Hindi. Okay. And who speaks Spanish? I was going to ask who speaks Hindi. <laughs> I speak Spanish. <laughs> I am the Spanish-speaking attorney here at Connors & Sullivan, so if you want to do a consult in Spanish, you just ask for me, and I can tell you everything that we talk about in English in Spanish. All right. What, what kind of differences are in certain words, depending on whether it's English or Spanish? All of them. I know that, but there's some words that are hard to translate, like trust, and you know you don't have... There's actually a word for trust. It's a convoluted word. It's not the best word. I try to avoid it because I feel like all Spanish people know the word trust in some way, shape, or form. But in Spanish, the trust is called un confedicomiso, which is a tongue twister for sure. All right. What does that mean? A trust? It means trust. We don't even put revocable or irrevocable in there because I would never get the phrase out. I'd just say it 4,000 times and I'd waste valuable client time. So we just call it un confedicomiso and I explain the differences between the revocable and the irrevocable. Okay. A faith of commission? Am I getting that? What? Close? It might be. It definitely has the word trust in there. Um, however... That's just what we call it in Spanish. It was the first thing that I Googled when I started here at Connors and Sullivan, it's, and it's stayed with me since. <laughs> now, I know another thing that you sometimes, my pet peeve and your pet peeve, when some attorney sells you a book. Oh, um, my which, God. Which, you know, like it, those black books which have trust, which you can read page 15 and page 27 and page 32, and they all say something different. And that, you can't make head or tails of them. I tell you that if you get a book of a trust and you don't feel like reading it, I promise you that if you sign it and you bring it here, I will also not feel like reading it. Okay? Because you already signed it and you don't know what it says. So it's going to be very hard for me to want to know what it says. But I can promise you this. If I do read it, it's probably going to say convoluted things. It's not going to make sense. And I'm going to be able to pinpoint the discrepancies between one sentence and the next sentence. And you're going to say, wow, I didn't even know that was in there. And I'm going to go because you didn't read it. Right. I'll give you an example. You know, sometimes in a will, in one of those will kits or, or books, um, they say I leave everything to my issue and equal perturbital shares. And all oh, that sign's nice. What does it mean? It means you leave it to your children and something happens to children goes to grandchildren. Maybe that's not what you want. Maybe you have a child from a prior relationship that you don't want as part of your plan. Maybe you have a child that was born, you know, not within a marriage and you don't want that child in the plan. Well, a lot of those kids put them in there. And of course, the same thing could be, let's say you have a son and he wasn't married, but he had a kid and maybe you're not very close to that grandchild. Hunter Biden, you know, mm -hmm. Joe Biden there, that's one of those kits, if he knows what he's signing. And <sighs> <laughs> the kid, you know, that, kid, that poor kid deserves something. He though. does. Just, I, yeah. uh, she does. I don't know if it's he or she, but, you know, kid, kid does deserve something. But, you know, try to cut down his child support or whatever. How yeah. do you, seriously, how do you do that when you're the president's son? Try to cut down child support on a proven legitimate child. 
I mean, that is just. Well, I don't want to play devil's advocate, but does, did he contest the um, the paternity? Yes, and it was pro- he he lost it in court by DNA, DNA evidence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that that's another thing too. You know, a lot a lot of our clients they don't have children that were born out of marriage, but maybe their children do, especially you know. It's a new world here today. I got, you know, I ask a lot of people, um, are you married? They say no. I say, okay, did you have kids? And they bat their eyelashes at me and look at me like I have 10 heads. And they say, I just told you I'm not married. I was never married. And I said, okay, well, that doesn't mean you didn't have any kids. Oh, no. Well, I'm here to tell you guys the world is a lot different today. <laughs> and with Ancestry.com now, there's a lot of parentage being revealed that nobody... I mean, this is, I don't even know what estate planning is going to look like in 10 years from now because the everything's going to have to be updated for unexpected children to pop up. Children who thought they had a different parent. And anyway, that was a tangent, but... but no, no, no. To get back to that point, uh, we had a couple of cases a few years back and World War II veterans, you know, they, they were stationed around the country. They got moved around. And of course, where they got moved to was sort of secret, you know, because if you were in a whatever 36 infantry division like your grandfather michael mm-hmm. you you could be yeah. stationed in one place yeah. one time next time you're in another country then you're in another country and it wasn't necessarily public record where you were so if somebody wanted to try to find somebody they may not even find him yeah. and even let let them know that veteran that uh, soldier that he was a, a father well in good and bad ways ancestry.com has made everyone kind of their own private detective type thing you know and it's it there's a lot of complexity. I mean, what, didn't Woody Harrelson say, try to prove that he's Matthew McConaughey's brother? Wasn't that a recent thing? That was a that was in the news recently. Did you get that from Justin Daly or something? That, no, that, that, no, that sounds that was totally no, that totally was in, bogus. That was in the news. He was trying to prove it because you know McConaughey's father was at a certain place at a certain. And I mean Harrelson, I can understand wanting to because his father was a hitman, if we remember, but. Well, okay, but uh, that sounds that sounds like a like Mr. Connors said, and like I've seen a lot of times, you know, sometimes our kids, well, your kids, I don't have any kids, but sometimes your kids have kids with women that you don't like, men that you don't like, people that you think are just waiting around to get an inheritance, and you know, you'll say, well. I don't want my grandchild to inherit because if something happens to my son or my daughter, then their spouse is going to take everything. Not if we plan it correctly. Everything can be made and tailored to what you want it to be as long as it's down on paper and written correctly. Not in a 400-page binder that you don't know what it says, but, you know, maybe in a 26-page trust that you do know what it says. And we can tailor everything to all these different specific situations. And again, the world is changing. So, you know, traditional marriages, traditional families, they're no longer traditional. And we have now confirmed that Woody Harrelson did try to prove that Matthew McConaughey is his brother. So that was not bogus. Okay. Well, Matthew McConaughey was from Longview, Texas, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah. So. Yeah. Don't question your producer on the facts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just thought that was from one of, like I said, I thought it was a bogus Justin Daly story, you know, that that somebody just put in. 
All right. I, I guess we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by Nicole Donnelly. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, tax, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors & Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. 
No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, they are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer again. And, you know, Beth, you had a comment. Well, we were talking about the what is it, USS Cooperstown, yes, the new ship, and um, all of the people from the from Cooperstown, the Hall of Fame, the baseball players who had been in who had been soldiers in the U.S. Army's. Um, we've got or Navy or Navy or Air Force, maybe who knows now, right? Well, I think well, Ted Williams. I don't know if it was the Air Force in the Korean War. It was okay. U.S. I think he was a Marine veteran. Okay. I could, I could be wrong on that. So we were, we've, Mike in particular has had so much fun looking up to Cooperstown to see all about the people who were soldiers. Yeah. And um, I'm the just, military is a better way to in say the mil- it. I'm, that's, I'm sorry, the military. Okay, because, you know, like when somebody first told me there were 70 Hall of Famers um, in the Cooperstown Baseball Hall of Fame who served in the U.S. military— I, you know, my first reaction is I couldn't believe it. Of course, as you're going through the records, um, you, you realize that there were a lot of Negro League ball players in there, which in my mind maybe wouldn't necessarily come to mind right away, but they certainly deserve the the accolades. Now, you, you know, going over it, I mean, there was one Civil War veteran in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and... I was a little surprised at that because, you know, Civil War ended in 1865. The National League, which started Major League Baseball, was 1876, although there's some argument the National Association of 1871 to 1876 was, you know, a major league, and that's a little discussion which is not worth fighting about. But, you know, ballplayers didn't play to long ages back then, so who would be fighting in the Civil War in 1865 and playing baseball 15 years later? But um, the 
one of the president, the first president of the National League, Morgan Buckley, was a Civil War veteran. He was a private. His uh, brother apparently was killed in combat during the, the Civil War. And he had a very illustrious career outside of baseball. He was one of the, you know, the founders of the National Association and later the uh, president of the National League in its first year in 1876. He was also governor of Connecticut. He was senator from Connecticut and had a very distinguished political career, more so than, you know, baseball career, so to speak. But it is interesting. But he's, as far as we can check in the records, the only Civil War veteran in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Well, he he ended up in New York, right? How did he end up in New York as a soldier? Well, because his uncle was, you know, was from New York, and I don't know if they're related to the the Morgan family, you know. But he his there was a Morgan. His name was Morgan Buckley, so I think his uh, he worked for his uncle Morgan. So I don't know if that's J.P. Who knows? Right, right. You know, but it, it's interesting that there was a Civil War veteran in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And, you know, looking through the numbers, and of course, one of the things, too, there were Korean War vets, which, you know, you usually think of veterans being, you know, World War II vets. And the Korean vets, and here's the thing, looking through the 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 people listed, um, Willie Mays is the only player, I think, that's still alive, you know, that was that's in the Hall of Fame and served in the U.S. military. And you almost forget that. And I think he was in, you know, in, in the state serving during the Korean War. And maybe somebody can look this. Whitey Herzog, is Whitey Herzog still alive? I'll find out. I'll, you keep going. Yeah. And he played, apparently he was in the service during the Korean War. And remember, we're talking about Hall of Fame players right now, not necessarily... You know, don't call me about, well, so-and-so was in the service and so-and-so was in the service. That's fine, but we're talking about play players or people. People is a better way to say it in the Hall of Fame because Morgan Buckley got in the Hall of Fame by being a baseball executor. Um, Whitey Herzog got in the Hall of Fame for being and a And he is a still alive, 91 so, years old. Okay, so the two of them, Whitey Herzog and Willie Mays, I guess are the only two people who served in uniform that played in the major leagues and served in the uniform of the United States and are still alive and in the Hall of Fame. You put that together, it's a pretty... That's pretty good. And they're good. both 91, because you couldn't be much younger, because if you served in the Korean War, which technically, uh, as far as U.S. military veterans are concerned, ended in 1955. Right. You know, that's what, 70, almost 70 years ago, not quite, 68 years ago. So if you're 21, 22 back then, you'd be 90 now. There's not nobody from the Vietnam War yet. No players got deferments. They went into the National Guard. Okay. Um, okay. So very few players went into Vietnam, and even the couple that did are not Hall of Fame okay. ball players. You know, and, and we should while we're talking about this, the one major league ball player who died in combat, Eddie Grant, was not a Hall of Fame player. Um, but probably if we're talking about baseball and the military, we should mention him because he died in World War One. Eddie Grant, second baseman. Um, I think his baseball career was over by the time he served in the military. I was military. fixing to say, if was he young or... Okay. Well, he was young, but not... Yeah, but he... His baseball career was over. He, If he had come out of the war, right. he wouldn't have had a chance to become Hall of Famer material. Right. No, he was not. He was a... Okay. 
Listen, and here's one thing. Sometimes I hear people talk about, oh, this guy's a bum, this guy's no good. If you're playing in the major leagues, it's a tremendous accomplishment. I don't care if you, you, you played in one game and you struck out and you're only at bat. It's still a tremendous accomplishment to play in the major league. So, I mean, know. just go figure the odds of everybody that yeah. starts out playing baseball. Right. How many make it to the major league? So, leagues? okay, Eddie Grant was a two forty nine hitter. He played in the major leagues, and you know, and and that was one of the other numbers that um, little surprised at the number of World War One players who played, you know, in the major leagues. Now, I think I don't think I think very few of them were in combat. In World War One, most of them, I think, served stateside. And of course, the American involvement in World War One did not last a long time. No. So, a lot of these guys were, you know, mostly doing stateside duty or whatever. But here's here's some of the names: Grover Cleveland, Grover Cleveland Alexander. If you saw the movie with uh, Ronald Reagan, you saw that he suffered uh, some injuries during the artillery in. in World War One. I. I don't know if that's any true. Oscar Charleston. Some say he's one of the greatest ball players of all time, if not the greatest ball player of all time. Played in the Negro Leagues. Ty Cobb was in the Army. I didn't remember that. I didn't know that. Eddie Collins was in the Marines. Jock O'Connell, great umpire, was in the Navy. Red Faber, uh, member of the nineteen twenty um, Black Sox, who wasn't. One of the guys who okay. took the bribe, Warren Giles, president of the National League, Burley Grimes, played for Brooklyn, was in the Navy, Harry Heilman, uh, 340 hitter with the Detroit Tigers in the 20s, Wade Hoyt, who p- played mostly for the Yankees, but also played for Brooklyn. Hoyt Hoyt? Yep, that was the great, when he was <laughs> playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers, he got hurt, and the headline in the paper was, Hoyt Hurt, and he said the people read it the other way, Hurt Hoyt. <laughs> Brooklyn, yeah. Yeah, Larry McPhail, a baseball executor. Robert Moranville was in the Navy. Robert Moranville played forever. He was a shortstop, later a second baseman. Uh, Christy Matthews, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, was in the Army. And, of course, by the time he got out, his career was over. Um, But, you know, that's here and there there. But he was still one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Rube Marquard, left-hander from Navy. Some people argue maybe he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, but Herb Pennock, great Yankee pitcher in the Navy. Sam Rice played for the Senators, retired with 2,997 hits. Good grief. And, you know, like <laughs> people would say, why would you retire? with?" And he hit 300 his last year. And some people say, well, why do you retire? Well, back when he retired, there was no Hall of Fame. Oh. And that's when people started to become more conscious of statistics. Oh, okay, okay. You know, Brad Tricky, the guy who brought Jackie Robinson to the major leagues. Again, uh, yeah, he was a catcher, but he, he got in as a baseball executive. Epirixi played for the uh, Cincinnati Reds. Bullet Rogan, who was a one of the, the best all-around players in baseball, again, from the Negro Leagues. But he was a good-hitting center fielder and a Hall of Fame caliber pitcher. Um, you, you know, a lot of those players from the... You know, the Negro Leagues would play two, three different positions. Uh, Louis Santop, who was a catcher in the Negro Leagues, I really don't know that much about him, except he played a long time. Joe Sewell was one of the, he played for the Cleveland and the Yankees, was a shortstop, third baseman. And I think one year he only struck out four times with 500, 600 at bats. Um, he, you couldn't strike the guy out, and he had a 312 lifetime batting average. George Sisler was in the Army. I didn't know that. Um, 
George Sissel is a first baseman, uh, great defensive first baseman, stole a lot of bases for first baseman, hit for average, didn't hit for a lot of power for his time, but hit for average. Tris Speaker, some say the greatest center fielder of all time, although I think most people would agree that it's Willie Mays now. Casey Stengel. Ray, we love Casey Stengel. Now, Casey Stengel was in the Navy. I thought he worked a civilian job in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. But if they say it, I'll accept it. Judd, Wil- Judd Wilson, again, first baseman, third baseman for the Negro Leagues. Um, and, and, you know, right now, if you get on Baseball Reference, by the way, you can see a lot of the Negro League stats that we couldn't put together, you know, a few years back. And to me, it's it's very fascinating to see what it is. The batting average is a little high. Home runs are a little low. Um, but it's it's interesting. Now, we're going to get to World War II, but before we get to World War II, let's take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors & Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Again, we'll be talking about, and to me, this is fascinating. I know some of you out there are bored because you don't care about baseball. And you don't care about Memorial Day and veterans. Oh, don't but, say that. Don't, don't say that. I'm not we a, should honor these guys. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? All right. We're going to World War II right now. We're going in alphabetical order. Luke Appling is a great shortstop for the White Sox. Um, played forever, well into the 50s. He came back after the World War II and played many years in the major leagues after that. Al Barlick was an umpire who was in the Coast Guard. Yogi Berra, I think a lot of people know Yogi Berra, was in the Navy. Um, His major league career started after um, World War II. And, you know, one thing, remember, Yogi Berra was in the, uh, when he was in the minor leagues, one of his roommates was Bobby Brown. And we should look up. We should maybe replay we said Bobby that Brown's. Before, yes, we yeah. got to find that. That was a great interview. Willard Brown, Negro League pitcher, Nesta Shylock, another umpire, Mickey Cochran. Um, obviously, he must have been in the Navy after his playing days were over. Uh, but Hall of Fame catcher, you know, was manager of the Tigers. Leon Day, again, Negro League player in the Army. Bill Dickey, great Yankee catcher, was in the Navy. Joe DiMaggio was in the Army. And Joe DiMaggio, you know, he lost a year in the middle of his career. Um, Larry Doby. Larry Doby, you know, I would say a real baseball American here. He was in the Navy. He's the first African-American player in the American League. And he was one of the first African-American players to be a baseball manager. And a, a real pioneer. And he served our country in the Navy. So, you know, he's God a genuine Hall of Famer. Bobby Doerr. Army, Red, Red Sox second baseman, Bob Feller in the Navy, obviously. Bob Feller was one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And he, he lost a lot of time 
into in, his career in the service and still won 266 games lifetime losing years and years to the right you know to the service uh charlie Geringer, second baseman for uh detroit tigers i ran into a priest once who said that charlie Geringer was part of his uh, congregation in detroit <laughs> um joe gordon second baseman for cleveland and the yankees great power hitting second baseman hank greenberg and Hank Greenberg is one of those guys whose statistics is hurt because he served so many years in World War II. First right. baseman for the uh, Detroit Tigers, moved to left field to help give Rudy York a shot at first base. So, you know. Good guy. And played a long time in the, uh, not a long time in the Major Leagues, lost a long time in Major League service because he was in the, uh, in the Army. Where was he from? Do you know? I really don't know. I think he was from New York. Um and he was also a general manager of the Cleveland team okay. when they won the World Series a few years later. Very good. Billy Herman played, for among other teams, the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Navy. And, of course, one of our favorites is coming up next, Gil Hodges. Gil right. Hodges. Oh, my goodness. Gil Hodges was in the Marines during World War II. He was the Battle of Okinawa, Bronze Star winner. Um, I'm so know, glad true, he is in the Hall of Fame. True American hero who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Monty Irwin. Monty Irwin was one of my father's favorite players, played for the New York Giants, played as a shortstop in the Negro Leagues for years and years, then did service in World War II, and then after, when the color line was broken, played for the uh, New York Giants. Very, that was Willie your dad's Mason. team, right? Yeah, Monty Irwin was one of his favorite players. Very good. Ralph Kiner. Everybody remembers Ralph Kiner yeah, as the New York sure. Mets broadcaster, but before he went to the major leagues, he served a few years in the Navy. And, you know, that delayed his career a little bit. In his first seven years, he was in the National League. He led the league in home runs. Very good. Um, Bob Lemon, pitcher for the mostly Cleveland Indians, uh, infielder turned pitcher. Again, great pitcher. He served in the Navy. It's a, it's amazing how many of these guys who played for the Yankees in, the, in Cleveland, you know, that served in the, you know, you got, you know, just looking at this list right here, we got Larry Doby. Bob Feller, Joe Gordon, Bob Lemon. They all pitched or played for the uh, Cleveland Indians, some for the Yankees. Now, there were other people, substitutes that came in, right, during World War II and, uh, you know, when these guys were off to war. Yeah, yeah. Ted Lyons, great pitcher for the White Sox. Larry McPhail, baseball executive. Lee McPhail, again, baseball executive. Both veterans. Johnny Mize. Stan Musial once said that Johnny Mize was the greatest natural hitter he saw and was one of the biggest mistakes when the Cardinals traded Johnny Mize. And Johnny Mize played for both the Yankees and the Giants. Led One year he led the league in home runs with Ralph Kiner okay. at that time. But like I said, he played for the Cardinals, the Giants, and then the, the Yankees. Stan Musial, everybody remembers Stan Musial. Um, he was in the Navy. Buck O'Neill, again, Negro League veteran was in the Navy. Pee Wee Reese, I'd forgotten that. Pee Wee Reese served in the Navy during World War II. He's played for the Brooklyn Dodgers forever, played a couple of years in L.A. A lot of them seem to be in the Navy, isn't yeah. it? Well, Navy had a very good baseball program, too, back oh, okay. then. okay. You know. Um, Phil Rizzuto, of course, legendary New York Yankee. He was in the Navy. Robin Roberts, great pitcher for the Phillies. During the 50s, mostly during the 50s, had a few good years with Baltimore in the in the 60s. Jackie Robinson, truly one of the great men of uh, on this list. Again, he was in the Army. Red Ruffing was in the Army. 
Now, Red Ruffing, I would assume most of his career was over. He might have played a couple of years after the war. But Red Ruffing won a lot of games in his career and pitched for the Yankees, played for the Red Sox and the Yankees. Red Shendings. Red Shendings was managing the uh, St. Louis Cardinals in the late 60s, those great teams. He was the second baseman, and he played in the Army. Enos Slaughter, another one of those Cardinals, played in the Army during World War II. Duke Snyder, Brooklyn Dodger again. Now, he played, I, I would assume that his most of his career was after World War II, and I, probably his career was just put back a little bit, but I don't think his career was interrupted by World War II. Warren Spahn. Now, I remember Faye Vincent was talking to us about that Warren Spahn was pitching for the uh, Boston Braves, and Casey Stengel asked him to knock down a, a player. Oh, this is awful. And if some of you remember the... Uh, when we're talking to Roger Craig a few years back, Roger Craig remember told us one time that Casey Stengel asked him to <laughs> knock down a couple of those giant players because they were hitting too well against the Met pitching back then. And they, Roger Craig followed his advice, got in a fight with uh, Orlando Cepeda. <laughs> Gosh! But Warren Spawn didn't. Casey Stengel said, "I'm going to send you back to Hartford till you grow up." And then Warren Spawn had to spend three years in the army. And didn't win his first major league game until he was 25 after the war. Good grief. And ended up winning 366 games. You know, like... Yeah. You know, one of those Hall of Famers who's legitimate Hall of Famers. So it wasn't just the war that held him back. It was Casey Stengel. Right. Well, Casey Stengel, he would have won a few more games. He <laughs> okay. Okay. And Faye Vincent said that uh, Warren Spahn was at Remagen Bridge. And, oh, my and goodness. heard machine gun bullets right over his head. Oh, gosh. Was, you know, so some of these guys were not just... You know, playing baseball in overseas locations. They right. were combat veterans. Right. Bill Veck, I don't know what he did in, in combat, but that was the owner of the uh, Cleveland Indians. I think later the general manager of the White Sox, but he was in the Marines apparently in World War II. Hoyt Wilhelm, a uh, great knuckleball pitcher, pitched forever. Pitching close to when he was 50 years old. Now, how does one actually throw a knuckleball? I've always don't ask been me that. fascinated oh. by <laughs> Me too. I, don't ask me I, that. I mean, that is... <laughs> Obviously, not that many people can throw it. Otherwise, yeah. more people... It's rare, would, right? You know, I, and control I, it. But, I think but a lot I mean, of people... <laughs> but I mean, I've always been fascinated by A lot that. of people can throw it, but they can't control it. What Does it go crooked or... It just flutters. It flutters. And okay. spins and whatever. Ted Williams... Marines, everybody knows about Ted Williams. Uh, he lost almost five full years, and he hit 521 home runs, and he lost five years, almost full, a full five years. And not only that, his last year in the major leagues, he hit 29 home runs. I know some people think he was a bit cranky, but everything I hear, it just seems like he's a better player than maybe shows up in all the stats. And no, everything. I don't think anybody's stats are better than his. So okay. I, I don't okay. See, you know, like maybe, yeah, maybe one or two, like Willie Mays or uh, Babe okay. Ruth or something okay. like that. Um, then we get to the oh, early win, won three hundred games, pitched forever. Uh, when he retired, I remember he thought he was going to be the last three hundred game winner because nobody was winning twenty games anymore. Um, Korea, we're running out of time, but we talked about Willie Mays probably being the only person alive. But then we found out Whitey Herzog is still alive. Of course, Whitey Herzog's in for being a manager. Ernie Banks, Whitey Ford, Ted Williams, Eddie Matthews. Um, Ted Williams, again, one of the few guys who was in the Korean War and World War II. Lost five years of military service. I don't know what we can say about these guys, except, you know, we really do owe them a debt of gratitude that 
you know, that wouldn't happen today. You wouldn't have, you know, people making millions of dollars going off to service for our country. Right. You know, and they felt a patriotic duty to to do their job just like every other American. And, and one last ball player I want to talk about, Cecil Travis, which we mentioned last time. Tre- Cecil Travis was a shortstop who hit 314 lifetime. Last year, of, before World War II, he had 359. Remember, this guy's a shortstop. He was on a Hall of Fame path. He served in the Army. He was in the Battle of the Bulge, suffered either frostbite or something like that. And when he came back after the war, he wasn't the same player. But before the war, he was certainly on a Hall of Fame trajectory. And I, th- I think he should be in the Hall of Fame because he had a Hall of Fame trajectory. And, you know, he I'm, I'm sure most of these players could have gotten exemptions if they wanted to. Right. Especially somebody like him who was probably 30 years old. Right. Um, so it, he has my admiration. And to me, he's a Hall of Famer, even though his stats at the end of his career after he came out of World War II were pretty bad. But the guy suffered from either frostbite or something else during the right. during the war. So to me, he's still a Hall of Famer. Okay, I guess we'll take a short break, and then we'll wrap up the show. Thank you so much for being here. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors & Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services. Okay, we talked about all these great veterans, baseball players. I just thought, to me, it was a 
interesting topic, and we should, you know, give these guys credit for what they did. And remember the the true meaning of Memorial Day to remember those people who died, which on our list, I guess, is Eddie Grant who died in combat. Right, right. See you next week, same time and places. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.